is um, church is not consumption, it is participation. And so in doing this, we actually participate in what we're doing here. Um, so, yep, we're just going to try this a little bit different and see how we go. So, yeah, go for it, Dad. Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Thank you. Yeah, maybe took it down there or something like that. Cool, thank you. You may be seated. Um, thank you for that. So, um, yeah, obviously a, a really big verse that we've probably all heard of, but um, something that we're going to explore a little bit today about what it means to do within our church. And so I want to start uh, by going back to my youth at Unley Park Baptist. And I remember probably one of my first memories of being in church, weirdly enough, was sitting right at the front of Unley Park. I think Neil was preaching and there's the red carpet that kind of blinded you as you were standing up and he's coming to the end of his sermon and he said now let's bow our heads and um, close our eyes and pray and I just remember the first time I had I just thought well, why are we why are we closing our eyes like why are we bowing our heads what is, no one's actually told me why uh, and so after it finished and I think we'd gone home um, after probably a lengthy stay with mum and dad chatting to people at church and me probably pulling on their sleeves saying let's go home already uh, I said well why do we I don't know if you remember this, but I said, well, why, do we, why do we do that? Why do we close our eyes? What's, what's the purpose behind that? And uh, the answer you gave, which I think was good, and the answer I would probably give to uh, my children was, uh, we do it so we can focus. So we can focus in the words that are uh, being said to us or the words we're thinking or, or what we're doing, a bit of focus. I think that's a pretty fair answer to that question. Uh, but as some people in this room have experienced at that age and then probably the next 10 years following, I had a slightly rebellious stage and I tend to buck against authority a little bit. And so the next time I was there on a Sunday and I was sitting at the front with the carpet blaring up at me and Neil's finishing his sermon, he says, let's close our eyes and bow our heads. I said, no, I'm not going to because I don't need to, you know. I'm, I can pray with my eyes closed and my head up and I can look at the pipe organ and do whatever I want. Um, and... For some reason, I thought that was a great idea. Now, obviously, I was a little bit misguided and have since learned a little bit more, but I think it speaks to something that I experienced when I was young. And I'm not sure about you, but I don't think I was ever taught to pray. So I had been around it a lot. I had seen it been done in slightly different ways, um, but never really been taught. It was just something that I kind of learned through osmosis. And now, I think that this maybe is also... Uh, a point for the greater Western church that we've actually never really learnt to pray. Um, we've just kind of been around it and, we, and we've done what we, what we see and what we know. Now, there are exceptions to this, obviously. I think there have been times where we've either heard a sermon about praying or um, perhaps a friend has taught us or something along those lines. But I think broadly, we've never really sat down and learnt to pray. And I think the biggest part with this is that we've never learnt to truly pray. We've never actually uh, hit the sort of prayer that comes from deep within. We've never learned how to access that part of us. For most of us, we kind of just do what we know. Again, there are exceptions to this, but I think that's pretty accurate. And so uh, I think the sort of prayer that we read about in the Bible um, and that type of prayer that we feel like is actually going to have a power to make a, a difference is something that we don't always know how to do. Um, or 
you know, even further, is it part of our daily lives as we come to prayer? Do we live prayerfully? Um, do we pray without ceasing? See, I think the experience of prayer for most of us is probably more something that it comes out of duty. Um, it's not something that we joyfully look forward to. It's something that we realise we have to do as Christians. Um, or we find it hard, or we have no time to do it. We, we struggle to either get up in the mornings or late at night to find the space to actually sit with God. Or maybe it's that we don't want to bother God with our prayers. We don't think that our needs or wants or, or things that we're thinking about, we're kind of, well, God's really big and we don't really need to worry him with that. We'll just kind of take that on board and we'll just go to God for the super spiritual stuff. Or maybe if we're honest, maybe we just find it boring <laughs> to be sitting there in prayer, to be going over our thoughts with God. Maybe it's just a little bit boring. Um, maybe we're distracted. We've got endless amounts of entertainment all around us, let alone in our pocket at all times of the day. And so maybe we find that we're actually just a little bit distracted from it. And then when we do pray, I think that there's a part of us that it doesn't quite know how to do it. And so part of it can become a performative prayer rather than a transformative. There are elements of it that we, we kind of know the thing that we have to do, the things that we have to say. And we've all heard those prayers that go on for five minutes, but they probably actually haven't said that much. I've got a few people at work that do that. Um, they talk for four minutes and I haven't actually heard any substance of it. Um, you know, that kind of Christianese that we all learn and grow around and we understand that, you know, they're saying the right things, but what does that actually mean? And I think that's the thing, is that those prayers don't actually have a lot of depth to them. And if you've ever heard someone pray from kind of the deep part of their belly, you, you know the difference. And so it feels like we, and I know I've gone through this, are just kind of editing and filtering our prayers before we send them to God, just in case we get it wrong uh, or we look foolish before God, because we don't want to do that. Or worse, we think that God can't handle what we have to say, what the real, real thoughts are behind us. And yet, the reality is, is that prayer is actually a huge gift to us. I mean, this is an opportunity to communicate with God who created the universe and everything in it. We've been given a way to grow closer to God through prayer and conversation. I mean, this is actually pretty remarkable when you think about it, because at the end of the day, that's what prayer is. It's a conversation with God. And there are many reasons to pray, um, and some of those I'm sure we'll look at during this series. Um, but there's one that stands out for me, uh, and I always sort of come back to, is that through prayer we can grow closer to God the Father and become more like Jesus. And I mean, we all know that's what relationships take. We know that a relationship can't grow if there's no communication, whether that's um, in, through marriage, through friendship, through uh, your children. If that communication isn't there in whatever form that takes, that relationship's not actually going to grow. And if it ceases, then it can actually wither away and die. Tyler Staten uh, is a pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland and author of a book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, which um, if you are interested in prayer, I highly, highly recommend you pick up that book. Um, it's got a lot of great things in it. But he, he had this to say on prayer. He said, Prayer is the recovery of our role in God's created order, the recovery of our true identity and the relationship that defines that identity to us. Or said another way, what prayer does first and foremost is to give order to our disordered desires, to put God at the top of our lives, and in that, find our true identity. 
I think that's a big thing, find our true identity through where we sit with God. So before we get stuck into this series on prayer, there's a phrase that repeatedly kept jumping out to me. Um, and I can't, all week, in fact, all month, maybe in a couple of months, I haven't been able to get it out of my head. Funnily enough, I can't actually remember where I first heard it. Um, I've, heard, I, I've, I've researched and researched, and I think I found that maybe it's attributed to a guy called Brother Lawrence, um, who has a, a book called Practicing the Presence of God. Um, if anyone wants to read through that entirety and find out if that's where I've got it from, that would be great. I will read it at some point. It's on my list. But um, the, the phrase is, pray as you can, not as you think you should. Pray as you can, not as you think you should. I just think there's a lot of power in that statement because what it's saying is don't pray as you think the expectation of you. Don't pray in a way that you think, oh, this is how I should pray. This is, as a Christian, how I should come to God. Rather, just pray as you can. And, and that could look like so many different versions. That could be going for a run in the morning and that's prayer. That could be washing the dishes and you find time to pray there. That could be sitting alone in the morning or the night and it could be talking to God about whatever it is that's on your mind in a true and authentic way. Pray as you can. And I think when I have prayed as I should, and I, and I, and I do like to read a little bit about prayer and there are ways that we can pray and I think they're good and healthy, but... Sometimes I come to God with an edited version of how I'm praying. I don't actually think that's healthy. And I think that there's a freedom when we understand that we just need to come to God as we can. There's a freedom in prayer when we do that, and I think that's important. So all that to say, I think it does help to have a starting point. I think praying you can is great, but it does help to have a framework to how we can pray. It's like guardrails that we know that we can be free within those, but it helps us kind of align ourselves. And so in this verse in Luke, gift, uh, there's a gift from Jesus. Jesus gives us a gift of prayer, a blueprint or a guardrail about how to pray. And I think this is something that we need to take on board because ultimately what we're looking to do is apprentice under Jesus. And so we look at how Jesus lived and what he did. And this is how Jesus taught us to pray. So we're going to walk through it a little bit. I'll give a little bit of context to it. Uh, and then uh, we're going to go through it line by line. And then we're going to end in a bit of a practice. How's that sound? Good? Great. Let's do it. So the first thing you'll notice is that this prayer is different to the one you've probably heard. Uh, that's in Matthew, and that's the more eloquent one. Um, that is, you know, our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, blah, 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 blah. Sorry, I shouldn't say blah, 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 the word of God, but you know what I'm saying. So why am I preaching on Luke today? Uh, well, you know, the sh a shortened version of that same prayer. There are a few reasons, and we'll get into some of those later, but there's, um, the, the one really point is I love efficiency, um, one of my favourite things is to go to a workplace and tell them everything they're doing wrong and how they can do it better and how we can do it quicker and we can be more efficient. And so when I was reading these two, I thought, this is great because this is like the super like, efficient version of it. This is what we need to do. Um, I'm not being 100% serious with that, although I am slightly serious with it. Um, but what I do think is Luke, uh, Luke here distills down uh, to what is important in this prayer. And so it is the efficient version, but I think it's distilled down into the really important parts of that prayer. And there's a little bit more to this as well, because the book of Luke was primarily written uh, at the time when the church was exploding. It was actually flying through um, the region and then starting to move out. And so when things grow rapidly, there tends to be a little bit of misinformation around them. And so Luke wrote this book as a way to help clarify some of the points that were said about the gospel. 
uh, based on key testimonies of people he had talked to, and then obviously through the Spirit of God as well. And so for me, I kind of look at this and you go, what he's doing is distilling this prayer down to what really, really matters. Not that there's anything wrong with the other one. I just, I love the, the distillation of it. So that's good. And given that we're, uh, the fact that we've got two versions of this prayer, to me that says that we, weren't, we aren't likely being asked to recite these words over and over. What it is doing is giving us a rhythm of prayer that we can adopt into our own life. Um, it's a template or a guideline for us to pray to our Father. Um, unlike in Matthew, this doesn't take place on the top of a mountain, a Mount, uh, Sermon on the Mount, where it's you know, said to lots of people. This one actually has the indication that it's quite an intimate setting. It's probably just his closest disciples. And so I think that that gives a bit of an indication as to, to what's going on here. It's kind of Jesus going to the top and saying, this is, this is what really matters with prayer. This is what you need to focus on. And so we'll start there. So one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Interesting fact. Do you know this is the only time that a request like this is presented in the gospel? Lord, teach us to pray. I think that's pretty amazing. See, Jesus was off praying as he often did in solitude. However, don't think that that means he kind of went and hid from everyone. It just means that he was away from them. And so when you were a disciple in the first century, it meant that you would follow your rabbi everywhere he go. There's a phrase that they use called, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. And that was literal. It meant, may you be, as you walk, may you be the dust of his feet, come up and be on top of you. You would be sleeping next to him, eating next to him, just living. And, you know, we talk about doing life as Christians. This was doing life like this close the whole time. And so they would have known where Jesus was. They would have been able to see him, even if it was from a distance. And so it's really important... Um, to understand that is that they would be watching him, they would be learning from him. And as a part of that, the disciples actually knew how to pray. I mean, they were, they were Jewish, they were looking to be taught by a rabbi, they understood the concept of prayer, they had been praying their whole lives. Jewish culture is steeped in prayer. The Siddur was a daily prayer book used in liturgical practices, and it set their daily rhythm. They used to have morning, afternoon, and nighttime prayer. And often when you read through the Bible, that actually dictates the time of day it is. It says they were either going to prayer or coming to prayer. It was a huge part of their life. So they weren't rookies at prayer. They understood what they were doing, yet clearly they saw something different in Jesus. They saw him doing it a different way, so much so to ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And so they asked. And Jesus answers them like any good teacher will when a student asked a question, said, when you pray, say. And so that's such an indication for us is that when we're coming to understand how to pray, we look at Jesus as the ultimate example and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, Father. Now, addressing God as the Father is not necessarily a new thing in Jewish culture. Um, reading all the way back to Exodus, which we just talked through, there's this idea of God as the Father. However, the way that Jesus used this had something different about it. There wasn't a qualifier with it. And that suggests a little bit of intimacy. It's an intimate prayer that he's offering to his disciples and to us as well. Coming to God as a loving, close-knit relationship father. It's also a positional statement. It's stating that God as father, we recognise ourselves as children reliant on God and to trust him. I mean, a lot of us have got kids here. We understand how reliant children are on us and that's how we are to come to God, with pure reliance. 
It also reorientates us as to where we sit under God. Now, I really want to quickly pause uh, and say that not everyone that hears Father automatically thinks loving. I think that that's something that we really need to acknowledge. Um, There are a lot of broken families. There are families that have had to deal with an abusive father or no father. There are um, cultural barriers that we find, especially within Australia culture, where this idea of a loving, intimate, close father isn't always the lived reality that we have. And so I want to honour that. And that can mean that it's it's hard to accept the idea of a loving father who hears our prayers. And I I understand why that's hard, but as a follower of Jesus, we kind of need to accept what Jesus is and trust him in this, that that way of looking at God is right. And we also need to acknowledge that this is a metaphor that can, that can break down. And so we just kind of need to trust. We need to trust Jesus in this. There's a quote from a um, theologian called Patricia Wilson Kastner that I thought captured this really well. It says, For us, the theological vision shapes the earthly reality we seek to create. Or in other words, the biblical version of fatherhood seen through God is actually our template for fatherhood on earth. Hallowed be your name. The second part of this opening in the prayer is actually really important for orientation. Hallowed is the idea of keeping something holy or setting it apart, and it adds reverence to God as the Father. It keeps God as a Father, but not so intimate that it's somehow we can always just go and nag to God or you know, kind of nag our way into getting what we want because we can bribe him or push him into doing a certain way. It keeps a healthy balance between who God is in terms of our Father and who he is in terms of how holy he is. Not only that, this phrase actually invites action. To hallow, um, or another way to say is let your name be holy, is actually a prompting for us to do good works under the banner of God and to keep his commandments. I thought that was a really interesting point. Hallowed be your name is actually an action that we can participate in. to, To make something holy requires response from us. I think that's amazing. Thirdly, it's also a positional statement um, similar to the first one that helps us understand who we are and what we are called to do. So Jesus begins the prayer by establishing who God is, the Father at the top, and who we are. Once we take time to reflect on these and reorientate ourselves, then we're actually in a better place to approach God with our requests. Your kingdom come. This is a prayer for the realisation of God's promise. Your kingdom come, God's kingdom. This is the promise that has been around since Abraham. This is steeped in history of where the promise is. And, and this is us praying for that promise to come about. The phrase completes a positional sta- the positional statements I've been talking about. This kind of fixes that. We are praying that this isn't our design, our will, our actions or our demands. It's the kingdom of God. We're both asking for God's kingdom to arrive and also acknowledging who is really at the head of this thing. It's God's kingdom. It shows us that prayer isn't a tool to get what we want, although I'll talk a little bit on that later, but rather to align ourselves with the kingdom of God. These positional statements help us figure out where we actually sit in all of this and allow us to function better as human beings. One theologian put it as this, the hope is in the full realisation and culmination of God's promised rule. You know, that's actually a scary thing to pray when you think about it. Your kingdom come. Because if we pray 
for God's kingdom to come. He will use us to make that happen. We are inviting God to do that. That's terrifying. Because God wants us to partner with him in renewing his creation, but he might call on us to do some hard things with that. So when you pray it, take it with that reverence. Your kingdom come. Understand that God, we are, we are letting God dictate how he is going to bring about his kingdom through us. Are we open to God doing that? You know, it's interesting. The first three lines of this prayer don't mention me or I at all. It doesn't start with asking for something or even saying thank you. It starts with who God is. So much of our prayers, our songs, our thoughts start with me. Because I matter. I'm the most important. And what matters to me is what matters to God. And that's normal. Please don't hear what I'm saying as judgment because I do it all the time. A lot of the songs we sing have that in it because it's a natural human condition. But I think Jesus is being really intentional here. The prayers start with God, the Father, the Holy One, and petitioning for his kingdom. That's powerful. It reorientates our thinking. The way we approach prayer, the way we approach God, starts with God as the Father. It reorientates us back to who's in charge. So with those three positional statements out of the way, we then move on to requests. Give us each day our daily bread. For the longest time, I'd never really thought about this part of the prayer. I don't know, it kind of sat in the middle. And I was like, oh yeah, daily bread, great, we'll, we'll pray for that and not think too much about that. And I've heard it many times in different contexts and different understandings of it. Um, and it never really seemed that important to me. And, and reading through the book that I mentioned before, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fool, Fools, kind of um, reinvigorated this phrase for me. Um, I'm not sure if for me it just felt selfish or not as spiritual as the other things. You know, kingdom come, we're talking about God, it's hyper-spiritual, and then we're talking about bread. And I love bread. Like My parents can attest, even Lucy can attest, to how much I just eat toast with butter on it. It's amazing. Um, and I won't let anyone tell me differently. So I understand bread pretty well. But in this context, it didn't seem to matter much for me. But I think there's actually something really important that we need to capture here. And so the word um, daily here, you know, talk about our daily bread, is the Greek word, which is uh, epinousis. And it can be translated as necessary, or if we break it down even further, it can mean necessary for our existence. And at this time, when Jesus was speaking about this prayer, bread was a staple for all diets. It was the centre of life. It meant, something, uh, it meant that it was something that people could rely on daily for sustenance, and it was necessary for their survival. And so when Jesus prompts us to pray for our daily bread, we are praying for God to provide our basic needs. And on a daily basis, it it's, makes us reliant and trust that God will provide. You know, I was reading this, it actually gave me imagery of Exodus. And we've just walked through the series of Exodus. And we talked, I think, last week, the week before, about the manna from heaven. And the idea of us as a people, the people of Israel, but that extends to us, is that we need to trust on God daily. We don't heap up and wait for you know, the next day and we've got extras. We're actually trusting on him daily. And I think that's... Um, really important for us to understand that we need to come with a trust that God will provide for us daily. You know, I think there's another element to this as well. When we ask God for our daily bread, at its base level, what we're doing is we're actually asking God for help. And I want to emphasize, this isn't just praying for, th for our needs, although I think that is a big part of it. Um, it's praying for things that are simple and daily, things that seem to us unimportant. 
What if we came to God unashamedly and in humility, which I think is a big thing, and simply asked for the things we needed? I had a recent example of this. We, we ran a, a work event um, that we hadn't done before. So I work at a school for those that don't know, and because of COVID, um, basically all events, community events, shut down. And I said, right, one afternoon I had this bizarre idea. I was like, let's just do a big community event, get everyone back around. And the moment I said it and everyone agreed, I sort of freaked out and said, oh no, now I need to put this thing together, and that's terrifying. Uh, so the first thing was numbers. I was a bit worried. I didn't know how people would respond. I thought we weren't going to get many big numbers to it. That's okay, though, because, you know, it's, it's a small, it's, a, it's the first event, it's a small thing, it doesn't matter. But when I was going through it, I thought, you know what, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for this community. I'm going to pray and say, you know, can we bring some numbers in, God? So we sat down. As a team, we prayed and said, God, we want to have big numbers to this. Not because that makes it successful, but because we want to build the community. Do you know on the first thing we put it out, we had 150 RSVP, and then a month later we had 400. God answers our prayers for our needs. But that wasn't it. So the next, I needed to feed these people. I had 400 people that were coming along, and I thought, how am I going to feed these people? So I need to get some food trucks to come along. I'd done a bit of research, and they all cost quite a lot of money. I wasn't getting any response from everyone. I was starting to stress out a little bit. And so we sat down as a team, and we prayed. I said, God, can you just deliver some food? We need some food here. We need something to sort it out. The next day, I had two food trucks get back to me and said, well, we won't actually charge you a minimal. We're just going to come and rock up, and people can pay for the food. Done. It was sorted. God answered us prayers. And thirdly, leading up to the event of the week, it was looking like it was going to be pretty rainy and cold. The day before, we had hailstorms. So as a team, we sat down and we prayed. I said, God, can you give us some good weather for tomorrow? I know that sounds stupid, but that's what we're coming to God. We're saying, God, can you make this a good weather so that we can have this amazing community event? And little did we know, the next day, the clouds had completely parted. It was cold, but it was a great day. The sun even shone through. We had this beautiful sunset coming through. It was perfect. We prayed for this. We didn't say, you know what, we'll just sort it out. Uh, we'll make sure we've got backup plans, although backup plans are good guys. But we didn't say, look, sorry, we'll have every contingency in the world. We actually just said, you know what, we're going to pray about this. And God answered. I think it's important. Those things that are deep in our life that we need are great, but sometimes it's good to actually pray for the simple things that we need. The parts of our life that we don't want God to touch or we think he's too big for, pray for them. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. For this section of the prayer, I want to hone in a little bit on a specific element. So in the ESV translation... The second sins, so for everyone who sins against us, is actually translated to forgive everyone who is indebted to us. The concept of debt was very, uh, very familiar in Jewish thought. It was a common way of understanding forgiveness through practical debt. And so Luke's recording of this prayer makes the link between sin and debt extremely obvious and grounds it in a reality for those that are reading. Now, that might be lost on us a little bit today, but I think we can all under, under, understand the idea of debt. I don't know what debt you've got in your life, but imagine if that got forgiven tomorrow. Huge implications. We ask God to forgive our sins, and as a result of this forgiveness, we need to forgive those that owe us. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's uh, monetary owing. You've got debt money. That's you know, very common. 
Maybe it's emotional. Maybe someone owes you an emotional debt for something they've done to you or said to you. I think there's a really practical nature to this line. The point is, is that there are a reciprocal relationship between being forgiven and forgiving. And this it leads us to this idea of shalom. Now that's probably a word that you've heard a few times. Um, and it means peace, is what a lot of people translate it to. And I don't think that's wrong, but I don't think it quite captures the fullness of the word. One of the best ways that I understand the idea of um, shalom is wholeness and completeness in well-being. I love that idea of complete. The word picture in Jewish thought is as of a, a brick fence that is complete, has no blemishes, no bricks missing, it is complete. So in the frame of debts, imagine a community where all debts are forgiven. What does that do for the community? It creates flourishing within that community. And so being forgiven, we forgive others and we actually bring shalom into whatever it is our community. So think of a relationship in your life where's something that's a little bit broken. doesn't mean it's fully broken, but there's something not right there. There's a debt within there. Imagine if you were to forgive that debt because you've been forgiven by God. What would that do to that relationship? Would that be flourishing? I can just imagine this beautiful community where we just forgive everything. It's beautiful. And finally, and lead us not into temptation. I think this one's pretty straightforward. Simply stated, the further we are into sin, the more severed our relationship with God is. When we pray for God to keep us from temptation, when we are asking to be closer to God. But of course, we live in a very broken world. I don't think I need to overstate that. We can see it daily. Sin is inevitable. Since the fall, that's what life is. And so the only proper response to this is to simply ask God to lead us away from sin. The verb used here means literally to bring or to carry away from. It's actually the same word that's used when the friends bring their uh, paralyzed friend to Jesus. They carry him. The imagery here is not of us somehow, you know, white-knuckling our way or willing ourselves away from sin. It's actually just going to God, I can't do that. I can't bring myself away from sin and I have to rely on God for that. Sin is always going to be with us here on earth. I think we have to accept that. And so we need God to bring us, to carry us away from the temptation to sin. Because we need this. We can't do it on our own. You know, I think Jesus, what he's doing here is providing a beautiful blueprint as to how we can come to God. Each of these steps, each of these lines gives us a prompting of how we can come to God reorientated as God the Father, working all the way through for our requests and finally asking us to live a better life here in a broken world. And so I hope what you've heard today um, prompts something in you that you're like, yeah, okay, prayer. I can see this. But it's not enough just to say those words. Like I said at the start, it's not, it's not just about saying those words. It's actually about finding what that means in your life. Coming to this, you need to bring your authentic requests. Think about in your life, what, what's actually troubling you, you know? 
What are you not bringing to God because you've been editing yourself? You've been praying as you should, not as you can. And so Jesus says here, here's the template, but you fill it in. Here's the guardrails, but you need to bring yourself into this authentically. God can handle it. God can handle whatever you have to throw at him. Just come to him authentically and watch how it reorientates. It realigns your life under God. Now, I like to end on practical. I'm a kinesthetic learner. I love to do things as a way of learning. And so there's a very easy practice that comes from this because we can't just leave this in theory. That's not enough. We have to live this out. Much like anything that's preached, we have to live it out for it to mean anything to us, to take hold in our life. And so this week, I want to encourage you to pray daily the Lord's Prayer. Now, you could take the one from Matthew, or you could take the hyper-efficient, better version in Luke, I mean the other version in Luke. But I want you to take that template that exists there, and I want you to input your life into it daily. So find a space, find a time in your day. Now, that looks different for everyone. I try and get up early as I can. Often I'm joined by someone little. Whenever it works for you, find that space in your day and pray through this rhythm of the Father. Pray through this rhythm of prayer that's going to allow you to realign yourself back with God. Use the Lord's Prayer as a theme guide to pray for your upcoming day, moving through each line and seeing where it fits into your relationship with God and your community. I encourage you to keep it honest. As I said, don't pray as you should. Don't, don't pray as you think God needs you to come. I want you to pray honestly. I think that's really important. And keep it grounded in your day-to-day life, daily bread, reliance on God. These are the things you need to think about when you're coming through here. And from here, I invite you to continue this practice. You know, in verse 9 of this same verse, it actually goes on and says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Another translation says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. See, there's a persistence to this prayer. It's daily. It has the ability to transform our lives around it. So be open to God. Pray as you can and see what God will do with it. Now to close, I'm going to pray. I think Anne's going to come up. and We're actually going to run through a bit of a practical session of prayer. Again, it's not enough to be theory with this. We actually need to do the prayer. So Anne, if you want to come up, I'll pray and then we'll, um, we'll move into this as a community and, you know, Cherish this time that we actually get to pray together as a community. It's amazing. All right, let's all close our eyes and bow our heads and don't try and look up at the pipe organ. (sighs) Heavenly Father, you are so holy. You are so bigger than any one of us or any of our problems. We pray that your kingdom will come. We pray that we will be vessels for you to use in whichever way you want that's going to bring about your kingdom. Lord, help us with those things that we need daily. Each and every day, let us be reliant on you for those things that maybe are worrying us or that we think would be good or um, even the, the basics that we need, the necessities, Lord. May you give those to us and may we continue to just be constantly reliant on you. Lord, we just pray that uh, we can forgive others in our lives, those relationships that are broken, that we have the power and strength through you because you have forgiven us that we can go and forgive them and bring about shalom. 
And finally, don't lead us into temptation. Carry us away from that and allow us to be transformed away from sin and closer into relationship with you. Holy Spirit, come on us right now. Live in our weeks and allow us to live in a way that glorifies you. We pray this in your name. Amen.